pray with me. Oh God, you are the creator and sustainer of all things. You are almighty. You are all-powerful. You are supreme and you are high above everything. And yet you have promised to be with your people. And so I pray this morning that you be with us. I pray that you meet with us, and I pray that you speak to us through your word. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. You can have a seat. We are in our seventh week going through a series of what we believe as a church. And this week, I've been asked to preach on the covenants and church membership, and I have decided that that is actually impossible. So this is going to be an introduction to an introduction of an introduction of covenants. (laughs) With that, if you have your Bible, you can turn to me to John chapter 13. If you do not have a Bible, you can raise your hand, and our strike team will come down, and they will hand a Bible out to you. Again, we are in John chapter 13, which is page 585 in the Bibles that are coming around. So when we are teaching on the things that we believe as a church, we split it up into three different categories. We have essential, important, and non-essential. And I don't think we've, we've actually talked about this from the pulpit, but essential, important, and non-essential. The essential things that we believe are the most important things. These are the things that you need to believe to be a Christian, and these are the things that we will fight to the death on. We will defend with our lives. These are things like the Bible as the Word of God. These are things like the Trinity. These are things like the gospel of Jesus Christ being the only way to salvation. But then we also have things that are important, and these are things that we believe These are things that we're going to teach as a church, but you don't necessarily have to agree with them to belong here. In other words, we're not going to divide over important issues. An example of an important issue is covenant theology, and that's what we're going to be talking about uh, this morning. So keep that in mind that that is in the important category. And then we have the non-essential category, and these are things that are so minor Um, We can talk about them, but they're not worth getting too worked up about. Things like, who are the sons of God in Genesis 6? How many days were Adam and Eve in the garden before they fell? Now, I have opinions. We can talk about them, but we're not going to have division or arguments over those non-essential things. So again, keep that in mind. Covenant theology, what we're going through today, is in the important category. So, turn with me to John chapter 13. I'm going to be reading one verse, verse 34. John 13, 34. And this is Jesus talking to his disciples in the upper room. He had just washed their feet, and he had just described that one of them is going to betray him. But he's talking to the disciples, and he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, 
you also are to love one another. And actually, if you're looking at your scripture, let's look at 35 too. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This is God's holy word for us this morning. One of my earliest memories is when I was shopping in Target with my mom. I must have been maybe five or six or seven or something like that. And we were shopping, we were looking around at things, and I remember looking at the toys, and eventually my mom was gone. I started walking around from aisle to aisle, thinking, Mom, where are you? The longer I was lost, the more I started to panic, and I started running around from aisle to aisle. Mom, where are you? I was afraid and I was anxious because I was alone and I didn't know if I would get to be with my mom again. How do you feel when you feel alone and you think that no one in this world is with you? How do you feel when you think that God is not with you? It's easy when we go through hard things in life, to think that God is not with us. When you fail a test, it can be easy to wonder where God is. When you get into a car accident, do you ever wonder where God is? When you're running out of money, do you wonder where God is? When you feel depressed, do you wonder where God is? When you lose somebody you love, do you wonder where God is? God, where are you? My friends, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you are not alone. And there's two reasons that you are not alone, and these are my two points this morning. First, you are not alone because God is with you through covenant. And second, you are not alone because we are called to be with one another through covenant. So first point this morning is that God is with us through covenant. And as you follow along, just keep in mind that this point is way longer than the second point, just so that you don't get discouraged um, when we start point two. (laughs) So covenant theology. Again, this is an introduction of the introduction of an introduction to covenant theology. Covenant theology is the big picture framework that God uses to explain how the whole Bible is put together. And I personally would go, go so far as to say that the Bible itself is a covenant document. So what is a covenant? O. Palmer Robertson says that a biblical covenant is a bond in blood sovereignly administered. Okay, that's a big definition. Let's break that down. Now, There's going to be a lot of information on these slides, and I just don't want you to get lost in all of these little details and miss the big picture that God is with us through covenant. I'm going to um, make these slides available in our Monday morning updates so that you can have them, okay? Yes. Thanks for being excited about that. So don't get worried if you don't write down every detail. Okay, so... A bond in blood sovereignly administered is a biblical covenant. What does that mean? A bond is a promise to commit to something. 
a bond in blood means that it is a life and death commitment. And sovereignly administered means that God, who is the sovereign one, he is the one who is in control of all things. He's the one who sets the terms of the covenant. So when we put all this together and give a simple definition, a biblical covenant is a life and death promise to commit to what God tells us to commit to. And it is impossible for God to break his covenant. It is impossible for God to break his promises. Now, when we start talking about covenants, I'm specifically talking about covenants between God and man. There are other covenants between man and man and different things in the Bible, but we don't have time to go through all of those. So God and man. A biblical covenant is more than just a commitment or just a contract. It is a relationship and a commitment. So when we talk about covenant theology, covenant is the way that God relates to us as his people, and it is his way that he commits to us. And the Bible bases its structure of covenants after ancient Near East covenants called a suzerain vassal treaty. And again, don't get lost in all these details. But a suzerain is a mighty and powerful king or kingdom. A vassal is a poor, weak, and small king or kingdom. And what would happen is this suzerain, this large, powerful king and kingdom, would commit and covenant with the vassal to protect them from their enemies And the vassal, the small, weaker king or kingdom, would covenant and commit to serve the great suzerain. And how they would agree to this covenant is they would take numbers of animals and they would slaughter them and they would place pieces of the animals on one side and pieces of the animals on the other side and there would be a walkway in between the animals and the two parties, the suzerain and the vassal, they would walk through the pieces of animals together, and that was their way of agreeing on the covenant. And what they were saying is that if either one of us breaks this covenant, let us be like these animals that were slaughtered. It is a life and death commitment. Now, a suzerain vassal treaty had five components to it. It had a preamble, which is like its introduction, This would identify the lordship of the great king, stressing his greatness, his dominance, and his renown. Then you would have the historical prologue, which is the previous relationship between the great king and the vassal. And in this relationship, there was one person in the vassal, which is the small king or kingdom, that would be the covenantal head. And that person would represent the entire vassal community. Then you would have the ethical stipulations, which are the commands of the covenants. It describes the vassal's obligations to the great king. And then you would have the sanctions, which are the promises of the covenant. And these promises are always blessing and cursing. So there's always a promise to bless, and there's always a promise to curse. And then in the covenant, you would have a sign, and this sign would be a visual representation of the blessing and the cursing of the covenant. So, simplifying all of that, the components of a covenant are you have the people, you have commands, you have promises, and you have a sign. People, commands, promises, and a sign. 
And there are three major covenants in the Bible. The covenant of redemption, the covenant of works, and the covenant of grace. The covenant of redemption is the covenant made within the Trinity to save sinners. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit covenant together to save sinners. And this covenant helps us identify who the parties are in the covenant of grace. Now we'll talk about the covenant of grace here in a few moments. The second covenant, major covenant in the Bible, is the covenant of works. And this is the covenant that God made with Adam and Eve in Genesis 1 and 2. So let's go over the aspects of this covenant. So you have the people, you have God, who is the eternal creator and sustainer of all things. He is the great suzerain of all the earth, and he created Adam and Eve in his image, and they enjoy direct personal fellowship and relationship with God. And so Adam, he is the covenantal head for all of humanity. What that means is that Adam represents all of humanity in this covenant. And what Adam does will be credited to all of humanity. It's like in basketball, when one person fouls, that person is credited with a personal foul, but the whole team is credited with a team foul. So the whole team is penalized for one person's foul. That's the same thing similar to what's going on here. Then you have the commands of the covenant of works, which are be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over every living thing. Then the other command is do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Then you have the promises of this covenant. It is a blessing to fulfill the command of being fruitful and multiply. In Genesis 1.28, God blessed them and he said to them, be fruitful and multiply. And Adam was blessed to eat of any tree any fruit of the tree in the whole garden except for this one tree, the, fruit of, uh, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And if he ate that tree, the curse of the covenant is that he will surely die. Then you have the sign of the covenant, which is the tree of life. And the tree of life was in the middle of the garden, and it is a visual representation of the blessing of the covenant, which is life. And it is a visual representation of the curse of the covenant, which is not life. Now, I have a good friend who does not hold to covenant theology, and he once asked me, why is the covenant of works important? And I want you to note there that we are good friends, we are still good friends, and this is within the context of a really healthy conversation between friends. So we can disagree on covenant theology, and that's okay. But why is the covenant of works important? It is important because Adam is the covenantal head of all humanity. And as I said before, what he does is credited to all of humanity. So Adam represents us. And so what happens? Adam fails to keep the command of the covenant of works by disobeying and rejecting God's authority, and he ate from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And when this happened... Adam and Eve, they fell into sin, and they were kicked out of the garden and out of the presence of God. So again, Adam is our covenantal head, 
And so what he does is credited to us. He represented all of us, and so his foul is credited to us. And therefore, we all have fallen into sin, and we cannot be in the presence of a holy God because of our sin. This is why Paul can say in Romans 5, the trespass of one man led to condemnation for all mankind, because Adam is our covenantal head. This, the biggest problem of the covenant of works is that we can no longer be in the presence of God. God can no longer be with us. And this is where God enters the story with a covenant of grace in Genesis 3. The covenant of grace is God's promise to rescue his people despite their continual breaking of the covenant. The covenant of grace goes from Genesis 3 to Revelation 22. It begins with God's gracious promise in Genesis 3.15 that he will crush the head of the serpent, and it ends with the promise in Revelation 22 that Jesus is coming soon. Now, the covenant of grace is broken up, broken up into two main covenants. You have the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. In other words, the Old Testament and the New Testament. And I would argue briefly that the way that our Bible is broken up into Old and New Testament is an argument for covenant theology. We can have that conversation. Now, the Old Covenant is broken up into four administrations with four different covenantal heads. You have the covenant with Noah, the covenant with Abraham, the covenant with Moses, and the covenant with David. And all of these covenants are unified by God's grace, but there's some similarities and differences within them. Now, in my original manuscript, my first draft of this sermon, I included all of those covenants, and that sermon would have been about 60 minutes. So I took some of those things out. Um, and I just want to focus on the heart of the covenant of grace. The heart of the covenant of grace is God's promise that he will be with his people. And it's, it's, it's in, expressed in different ways. I will be your God and you will be my people. When you read the Old Testament, you see that everywhere. These are just a few examples. I will be your God and you will be my people. That is the heart of the covenant. Or this promise, I will be with you. Again, you see that all over. I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. So that's the heart of God's promise. But there's also a curse to God's promise. So always in the covenant, there's promise, which includes blessing and cursing. The curse of the covenant is that God will cut off anyone who disobeys. And you see that all over as well. This is why the sign of the old covenant is circumcision. Literally in circumcision, you're cutting off the foreskin. And it was an everyday visual reminder and visual representation of the curse of the covenant that if you disobey God's covenant, you will be cut off from God and cut off from his people. So what happens in the Old Covenant? God saves his people and brings them into his presence. God's people disobey the covenant and they are cut off from God. Then God saves his people and brings them into his presence. And then God's 
people disobey the covenant and they are cut off from God. And then God saves his people and brings them back into his presence. And then God's people sin, they disobey the covenant and they are cut off from God. And this goes on and on and on and on until God promises a new covenant in Jeremiah 31. In Jeremiah 31, God speaks through the prophet Jeremiah and he says, Behold, the days are coming declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. And here we go. I will be their God and they shall be my people. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. The old covenant could not fully take away sin. But God promises in the new covenant that he will fully take away sin and without sin, God can be our God and we can be his people. Now, after this prophecy was made in Jeremiah 31, God's people were still brought into exile. They were cut off from God. They were cut off from the promised land. But God, in his grace, brought a small portion of his people back into the promised land. And then some things happened. But then came 400 years of silence. And I could imagine the people wondering where God is. God, you made all of these wonderful promises to us. Where are you? You promised that you would never leave us, that you would never forsake us. God, where are you? This is how I felt in Target that day. I was alone and I was scared. But I was eventually found by an employee who brought me to the front, and this was a really long time ago, so they had to call it over the intercom, and my mom came and found me, and we had a sweet reunion. I got to be with my mom again. The thing is, God didn't leave his people. He was just waiting for the perfect time to send his ultimate Savior, Jesus Christ, to seek and to save the lost. Before Jesus was born, it was prophesied that he would have the name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And this is not just a random name. This is the very heart of God's promises to his people. Jesus Christ is God with us. And Jesus came as the new covenantal head for his people. Jesus served God perfectly. He kept all the commandments of the covenant. He fulfilled the covenant of works. So that if we have faith in Jesus Christ, Jesus is our covenantal head and his perfection is credited to us, as Jake was talking about last week. In other words, going back to basketball, Jesus hit the game-winning shot and by faith in Christ, we are brought onto his team, Team Jesus. In Christ, the promise of the covenant is fulfilled, God with us. God is with us because Jesus Christ died on the cross. Jesus Christ became, Jesus Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. And when he was on the cross, in that moment when he was becoming the curse for us, he cried out with a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I hope that you hear what he's saying. He's saying, God, where are you? 
In that moment, the Son of God, the great suzerain, the creator and sustainer of all the earth, the second Adam, was slaughtered and sacrificed like the animals of the covenant. Jesus Christ was cut off from eternal fellowship with God. And he did it so that by faith in him, we would be brought back into fellowship with God. In other words, the only reason that God can be with us is because Christ was cut off for us. He fully took our sins so that we can be with God. And I hope that you get this this morning. Without faith in Christ, you are cut off from God. But by faith in Jesus Christ, we are welcomed into the new covenant. By faith in Jesus Christ, you are never alone because God is with you. This means that if you believe in Jesus Christ, no matter what happens to you, God is with you. When you fail a test, God is with you. When you get into a car accident, God is with you. When you get sick, God is with you. When you're running out of money, God is with you. When you lose somebody you love, God is with you. When you feel lonely, God is with you. And God being with you means that even when others mean things for evil, God means it and uses it for good. God being with you means that God is right there with you, working all things together for your good. God being with you means that no matter what you go through, there is nothing that can separate you from his love. So in those moments when you feel like crying out, God, where are you? Through Christ, God answers and he says, I'm right here. I'm with you. And God will never, ever break his covenantal promises. It is impossible for God to break his covenantal promises. And it is our prayer this morning that you see this covenant promise of God being with you as greater than anything that you go through. He will never leave you or forsake you. And one day, we will be brought into the new creation. And what's at the heart of the new creation? Revelation 21.3. The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Can't wait for that day where we will get to be face-to-face with God. My friends, if you are in Christ... You are not alone. God is with you through covenant. But you are also not alone because we are called to be with one another through covenant. So the second point this morning is we are called to be with one another through covenant. And again, this point is way shorter. In the new covenant, God is creating a new people called the new covenant community or the church. He is creating a people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And everyone who has faith in Jesus Christ will enter into the church, or as I call it, Team Jesus. 
Jesus Christ is the covenantal head of the church. And as our covenantal head, he represents us before God. This means that his perfect life, his atoning death, his conquering resurrection have been applied and credited to all of us who have faith in Christ. And there's nothing that can change that. On top of that, the church is called the bride of Christ. God uses the covenantal relationship of marriage to describe his covenant with his people, the church. And there is nothing that can break the covenant between Christ and his church. There is nothing that can break God's covenant with his people. Now, the new covenant creates the universal church and it creates the local church. The universal church is God's people from all times in all places. It's universal. Everyone who has ever been a believer anywhere. The local church is a particular group of believers who um, are together at a particular location who have covenanted together. So River City Church is an example of a local church where the universal church is everybody who is a believer. John Piper says it like this, God wills for the new covenant to create local churches. The covenant promise, you will be my God and, or you will be my people and I will be your God, does not just create a universal body, but local expressions of that body in specific gatherings called churches. Both the universal church and the local church are important. But for our conversation this morning, I want to focus on the local church and I want to focus specifically on covenantal church membership. And before we dive into this, I have to confess that this is the elephant in the room here at River City. Every month at River City, we have about 600 people that come through and worship with us. Of that 600 people, less than 100 are members. God's covenant with us is the foundation of our covenant with each other. God is with us through covenant, and we are called to be with one another through covenant. John Piper says it better than I can, so I'm going to quote him. The covenant that makes us belong to God makes us belong to each other. Therefore, our commitment to each other in a local church is a covenant commitment. Our covenant relationship to God implies a covenant relationship to each other. God's covenant with us creates and shapes our covenant with each other. I really like the way that he says our covenant relationship with God implies a covenantal relationship with one another. God's covenant with us creates and shapes our covenant with one another. Again, God is with us through covenant and we are called to be with one another through covenant. With that said, why covenant membership in a local church? There are many arguments that can be made. I'm going to focus on one this morning um, due to time, especially. As the head of the church, Jesus redeems us so that we can keep his commandments. As the head of the church, Jesus redeems us so that we can keep his commandments. He has many commandments that we are called to keep, but I want to focus on the one that we read at the beginning, our text this morning, when Jesus says specifically to his disciples, a new commandment I give to you, 
that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Now, in the new covenant, there is this command to love our neighbor as ourselves. Who is our neighbor? Everybody. But this command, so that's a general command, but this command right here from Jesus is more specific. He's telling the disciples to love one another. We are called specifically to love one another, and there are many ways that we are commanded to do that. Here are a small uh, sampling. Live in harmony with one another. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Bear one another's burdens. Bear with one another. Be kind to one another. Forgive one another as God and Christ forgave you. Encourage one another and build one another up. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. So again, this will, this will come out in the Monday morning updates, but we have all of these commands, and there's many more, but all of these ones are given in the context of the local church. They're given in the context of loving one another. And my argument is simply this, that we cannot fully, again, emphasis on the fully, we cannot fully love one another if we are not committed to one another. And we cannot be committed to one another without covenantal church membership. Dr. John Mather says it like this, You cannot love Christ while you disdain his body. And by his body, he means his church. Can you claim Christ as your head if you refuse to identify with his body, with his church? God is with us through covenant, and we are called to be with one another through covenant. Now, I believe that there are four most common reasons why people do not become members at a church. So I'm going to go through them briefly. The first one is the most common and the most important and the most problematic, and it's this. You don't understand church membership because it has not been explained to you And with that, you have not been pursued by church leadership. This is on us. This is on us. We have failed you for not explaining the importance of covenantal church membership. Forgive us for that. We as elders are committed to working on this, to explaining it, to getting people together um, through covenantal church membership. So the most important and biggest reason is on us. The second reason is that you don't see church membership as biblical. Now this morning I only gave you one argument, but if we were to sit down and have a conversation and you were convicted by God's holy word as your authority that church membership is not biblical, I would respectfully disagree with you, but I would welcome you in. You could still come and worship here if that makes sense. If you're convicted by Scripture, you cannot go against your conviction of Scripture. We would welcome you and we would love you. The third reason is that you have been hurt by the church. And this is an understandable, emotional decision. And on behalf of the church, if you have been hurt by the church, I am terribly sorry. I am terribly, terribly sorry. Can I lovingly 
and gently ask you to not make your emotions or to not let your emotions lead you in this decision, to let God's word be the authority in your life. And I say that lovingly and gently. And can I also encourage you to prayerfully consider the fact that the church is not perfect, but it is the bride of Christ being made ready and being made perfect by a perfect God. So the fourth most common reason is that you will only be here for a short season. And I think this is most common for college students. So college students, if you are only going to be here for a few years, two to five years, whatever your, your window is, let me encourage you that this is a good opportunity for you to make your faith your own. And an important way that you can do that is by covenantal church membership. And if you make a, a covenant commitment with a church, with River City, you do not have to stay here for the rest of your life. This, I said a biblical covenant is a life and death covenant. Covenant with River City Church is not a life and death covenant, okay? If you move away, like there are reasons why you can leave. So you're not, you're not committing for the rest of your life. Now, as an aside, if you choose to stay with River City and you want to come here on Sunday mornings, and you want to come to our community groups and worship with us, you are more than welcome. We're not going to kick you out at the door if you don't have a membership. We want to care for you. We want to love you. We want to walk with you. We want to serve you. So just keep that in mind as well. This is in the important category and not the essential category. God is with us through covenant, and we are called to be with one another through covenant. So if you're interested in becoming a covenant member at River City, here's the practical next steps for you. Number one, we are having a pastor's coffee this afternoon at my place at 4 p.m. The address is on the card in the back there. You can come. um, You can ask any questions that you may have. You can get to know us as pastors, and you can eat some snacks with us. If you have already been to a pastor's coffee or if you feel like you know us pretty well, you don't need to come to a pastor's coffee more than once. That's just an introduction to us. Then the next step is we are having a new member class on November 17th. And in that class, we will explain in detail what it means to be a covenant member at River City. And then from there, you will have clear steps on um, how to become a member. And let me just say, if you come to the new member class, you are not committing to becoming a member. You can come to the new member class Get information, ask questions, and if you choose not to, that is okay. But we humbly invite you to covenant with the local church. We humbly invite you to covenant with us here at River City. And we believe that this is so important that if you cannot covenant with River City, let us help you find another church where you can covenant and commit to. We want to walk with you in that as well. So in Christ, if you are in Christ, you are not alone. God is with us through covenant, and we are called to be with one another through covenant. Let's pray. God, we thank you that the distance between God and man is so high that you have decided to 
condescend by way of covenant to relate with us and to commit with us, to commit to us. We thank you for the faith that you have given us, and we thank you that by faith in Jesus Christ, you are with us. You will never leave us or forsake us. And I pray that of all the information that was given and all of the stupid things that I may have said, that everyone walks away, with here, walks away from here with the truth that you are with them through Christ. And I pray that that encourages them. I pray that it motivates them. And I pray that it gives them rest. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.